You are Locked On Colts, your daily Indianapolis Colts podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Everybody, welcome back into the latest episode of Locked On Colts, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's audience your host, Evan Setter, and joined by Jim Aiello, the Colts beat writer for the Apple Star. He also runs his own podcast with Joel Erickson over there, the Colts Cover Two podcast. Jim, how are you doing today as we are approaching around 48 hours until kickoff for the, for the Colts' first playoff game since 2018? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm, ex- I'm excited to cover a playoff game. Obviously, I jumped on the beat last year, so I never, never have. And I'm excited to see uh, what the Colts can do. I know they're the underdogs, though for some reason Sean McDermott doesn't want to admit that. Uh, but I think they can keep this game close if they do a few things right. Before we get into the playoff game, we're going to dive deep into that in a few minutes. Let me ask you overall, Jim, just about how this season went for the Colts. 11-5, and five, like you mentioned last year, year round. Went for the Andrew Luck retirement. Colts go 7-9 and nine last year. Jacoby Brissett quarterback. They added Philip Rivers, DeForest Buckner, Jonathan Taylor, all this other young talent as well. What grade would you give the Colts for their 16-game regular season slate to go 11-5 and five and, and squeak in the playoffs there? Huh. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. B-plus, I guess. I, I, you know, I don't think you can give a team an A that doesn't win their division. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. And, again, I guess maybe the A-plus the a team is like the Chiefs and everybody else gets A's that won their division. And then, yeah, after that, it's B's. And, again, I, I, I almost feel like that's a harsh grade just because – of, uh, as you mentioned, the Andrew Luck retirement. Like, I just don't think franchises bounce back from something like that, like, as quickly as the Colts have. I just don't – I mean, if you look at the Patriots, and, again, I know it was, like, the same year, but the Patriots had a whole offseason to figure out, what are we going to do after Tom Brady? And they decided, we're going to go with Cam Newton, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z on offensive defense to try to get there. And they won seven games, I think, um, which is pretty much what the Colts did with Jacoby Brissett after two weeks after, you know, Andrew Luck decided to retire. So, again, like – I after their first real offseason of saying, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to address this and go with Phillip Rivers and then mention, you know, all the other moves that they made. I think 11 wins, you have to be pretty, you have to feel pretty good about it. Like, okay, this is what this roster can do with an above average quarterback. Uh, and, and this is the position they can put themselves in. Now I know they got in as a seven seed, but I, I, you know, every year, like 11, winning 11 games would pretty much get you into the playoffs every season. So it, it feels like they snuck in a little bit, but also winning 11 games is significant. And, and, I thought it was a kind of a cool stat Frank Reich brought up the other day that he's been part of uh, eight teams that have won 11 games or, or more, and those teams won or have went to the Super Bowl six times. So he's like, yeah, you have you have to be really good to win 11 games. And so anyway, I I, again, I, I think you have to give a pretty good grade. I thought you maybe wanted to see a little more out of the defense. I'm sure we'll talk about this more specifically. But in general, the offense took a big step forward, came close to matching the numbers of 2018. And the defense, I think maybe you'd want to see a little more progress, but still was, you know, really good for good portions of the season. Let's hit on Phillip Rivers, Jim, just the season he had in 2020 for the Colts. A lot of questions heading into this about if he's washed up or not, if this is going to be his last run. But from all indications, Jim, I think Phillip Rivers has earned another year in Indianapolis. I've asked you that a couple times throughout the season. I feel like at this point, I think it's fair to say it's almost a lock unless Rivers decides to walk away at this point. 24 touchdowns to 11 interceptions his least amount of interceptions since 2017. Really just great official football for Rivers throughout most of this year, Jim. He also threw for almost 4,200 yards, 68 completion percentage, which is one of the highest marks in Colts franchise history. What was your overall assessment of Rivers? I know it was a rough start in the first month of the season, but really over the last two months, the last seven to eight games was pretty – you really couldn't ask for much else with Bill Rivers. 
Yeah, I agree. So I think the first knocks on him, like, let's talk about the negatives, right? The negatives were he's old and doesn't have it anymore and, and throws too many interceptions. Like, and that's what he, you know, the weak arm, that's the reason for it. Okay, well, he threw a few early on, but he cut those out. Like, a, a, a 10 or 11, 11 interceptions in a season is pretty good. Like, you, you feel pretty good about that for in the modern NFL for how often teams are passing, um, especially considering he was coming off a 20-interception season. Uh, to pretty much cut those in half, that's huge. The second thing I think we all said was, okay, even if he is good, he's not good enough to really lead them back against in teams. Like, he can't get into a shootout and beat other good quarterbacks. Like, he can't be the reason they win. I, I think we saw that was wrong. I think we saw that it was wrong against Green Bay, especially. Like, he went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers in that game. I'm saying he's as good as Aaron Rodgers. I'm just saying that when they needed him to step up and play as good as Aaron Rodgers did in that game, Phillip Rivers did. Uh, he went toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson. Uh when the Colts needed him to. But again, not just, you know, not discounting the other parts of the team, the defense, all that stuff, but he did step up and, and was the focal point of the offense multiple times this year, brought them back multiple times this year. So those were the weaknesses, I thought, um, that, that he dr- addressed. That Again, that I, so many people pointed out at the beginning of the year, people, you know, after that Browns game particularly, there were some major, you know, national media folks that were calling for his head, saying it should be Jacoby Brissett. At least he won't give the game away. And, and from that point on, really, Rivers didn't give the game away at all, ever again. He only fumbled one time. So that's 12 turnovers in a season. That's great. I mean, that's really, really good for a quarterback. He doesn't give up yardage on sacks, like, ever. I mean, he barely took sacks. And, again, that's credit to the offensive line. But also credit to Frank Reich and, and Phillip Rivers themselves for, for figuring out ways to get the ball out of his hands fast and not just making those check down plays. I think so often we talk about, oh, he's getting the ball out of his hands quick, like, and, and it's a four-yard throw. They created so many explosive plays this year. They finished in the top 10 in, in explosive passing plays this year, despite the fact that Rivers was getting the ball out of his hands so fast. So that's a credit to him. And again, he, he is a guy that has always pushed the ball downfield and continued to, just kind of in a new way this year. And then, as you mentioned, I think the completion percentage is a huge thing. I wrote about this when I wrote exactly what you said, or what you said, which was Philip Rivers has earned a second shot in Indianapolis. And one of the reasons I said it was the completion percentage is great, but it only really tells half the stories about his accuracy. The, the part of it for me that is so phenomenal is how often he puts the ball in exactly the right place for the completion. He leads T.Y. Hilton across the middle so he can, he can catch it and run. Michael Pittman on those crossers so he can catch it and run. Or those touchdown passes to, uh, to Trey Burton where he puts just above a defender, only a place that Trey Burton can go get it. Like So many times he puts his guys in position for yak or puts his guys in a position that it's either a completion or, or um, no one's getting it to the completion. So I thought he did a great job doing that. And then the last part of it was, and I'll go quickly through this, just, you know, his teammates love him. The team loves him. They, they've, they've, they've come around. He's Uncle Phil. Like, they, they love learning from him. They love talking to him. They love playing games with him uh, in the locker room. Bags is a huge thing for them. They still play that a ton. Like I said, they, he's still one of the guys, and they still love him as a leader. He's one of their captains. Um, I just think the fit worked perfectly. Again, obviously, you know, is it like if Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes came? No, but for what they got, I think it worked out better than they'd ever hoped. And, uh, yeah, I, he absolutely earned a second shot in year two, if he wants it, as you pointed out. Yeah, totally agree with you there. A really strong year for Rivers, really knocking all the critics down a peg or two with the way he played in 2020. Let me ask you about the other big addition on the defense side of football this year, Jim, and wrapping up his 2020 to Forrest Buckner in the regular season, which is an outstanding year for Buckner. Nine and a half sacks for interior defensive linemen. 25 QB hits, which is a franchise record, even beating the, the marks of Mathis and Freeney for those, which really goes to show how disruptive he was from an inside position. 
I mean, we saw it every week, week in and week out, Jim, when he played and when he didn't play that one week due to COVID, just how impactful he is for this defense, how he changes everything for them. What was your overall assessment of Buckner in 2020? Yeah, it starts with what Chris Ballard said. It's like the three technique drives this thing. And he's the way this, – this, this is the guy that can unlock the defense, can, can make them take the next step. Now, again, I think there was some – there was some – it took a step and then maybe it took a step back overall. But they were still a really, really good team uh, defensively. Still finished top ten in most categories um, except passing on passing defense, which, again, we can talk about later. But Buckner himself really delivered everything that they hoped he would when they traded a first-round pick uh, for him and then, and then gave him a bunch of money. He is the interior disruptor that they needed. Um, that's a crazy stat. I'm glad you brought that up about having more quarterback hits than, than Mathis or Freeney, setting the franchise record there. Nine and a half sacks is incredible for an interior defensive lineman. You don't see guys do that, you know, outside of the names of like Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. Uh, I, you know, the thing, I, I, it still bothers me. I know the Pro Bowl doesn't mean anything really in, in the big picture. It still bothers me that he's not a Pro Bowler. Uh, because it does actually mean stuff, you know, there's contract incentives, there's like, there's your legacy, there's all the things that, that, um, that are kind of tied to it that shouldn't be, but they are, but are, and the fact that he's not a pro bowler is just a crock and it, it stinks. But again, I think the Colts know how good he is. He might still be an all pro. Um, yeah, he was everything this defense needed him to be. Uh, I, again, I, your, your point about what the defense was like without him, you know, they collapsed against Tennessee, couldn't stop the run. I definitely think, like, I think Grover Stewart took a huge step forward this year himself, but I think playing next to DeForest Buckner is one of the biggest reasons that he emerged as a, as a run-stuffing star this year. I think he's one of the biggest reasons that they're, that Danico Autry uh, finished with as many sacks as he did, and it helps to, you know, Justin Houston finish with eight, I think. I mean, I, I think he was such a huge part of what the Colts did, and not just, you know, the, the, the wreckage that he caused himself, but helping other guys do damage as well. Yeah, another – I think this goes to show you just how impactful Buckner was. Like you mentioned, the move Chris Bauer made to get for a first-round pick looks like just a steal in hindsight now, and he's just now entering his prime. But let's tell the rookie class real quick, Jim, before you dive into previewing this Saturday's game against the Buffalo Bills. I mean, first off, let's tell Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he just won an AFC Offensive Player of the Month, 741 scrimmage yards over these last few games, eight total touchdowns in that span as well, over six yards per carry. From where we were in September, October, Jim, where we are now in, in – early January 2021, Jonathan Taylor has taken that lead forward. He looks like a future star running back, or he might already be a star running back at this point, Jim. What's been your overall assessment of Taylor? Yeah, it just took, like, I've said this a few times before, and I hate it because it feels like I'm reciting cliche, and I hate reciting cliche. But every time we ask the, co- the Colts coaches about him, especially when he was struggling early on, and then when he started to click, you know, Nick Sirianni, most of all, was just like, it's just, it's just reps and confidence. Reps and confidence. And again, like, I know that sounds stupid, or, but it, 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 it means so much. The more you get to play in a system, the more carries that you get. Like, he talked about, like, not having Marlon Mack to run next to. He's talked about it a couple times this year, about not having him and not being able to learn from him uh, and talk to him about stuff. He did some. Marlon Mack tried to stick around. But, you know, it's hard when you're, when you're hurt and rehabbing your own injury. So a lot of it was trying to learn on his own. And, and I, with the, you know, the way he did that was reps, just more reps, getting more uh, carries. And, again, with Mack being out, he got more of them. And that helped. And he got more confident in what he was doing. I, I, one thing I wrote about this year, and I think was a big part of his development, was running on a shotgun. I don't think he did a lot of that in college. I know he didn't do a lot of that in college. And, and the Colts do a fair amount of it. Not, not all, but they do a fair amount of running it. And, and he talked about how, okay, the timing's different. The blocks are a little different. When you're doing those zone runs, especially, you have to wait. You have to be, to be patient. You have to know how they're going to block. And that kind of brings me to the other point for, for Jonathan Taylor. There is chemistry between a running back and their offensive line. Like, 
I know people think about it only with receivers and quarterbacks sometimes, but there's chemistry with the offensive line. You have to understand both on both sides. The running back has to understand what the line is going to do. The line has to understand what the running back wants to do, how patient he's going to be. There was going to, it was always going to take time for Taylor uh, to get those things. And then once he started figuring out the timing, I think the tools started to emerge. So early on when he wasn't getting the timing right, he wasn't breaking tackles. I think that was one of the biggest knocks on him was that, yeah, he's not really shedding any tackles. He's not creating yards after contact. He's not creating his own yards in general. But then when he started getting the timing right and he's hitting the holes at full speed or, you know, close to full speed, he is shedding tackles. Those arm tackles all of a sudden aren't tripping him up or, or nobody get him by the legs, but he's powering through them. Like he is able to be a better back because he was just because he was getting the timing right. And so I think all of those things contributed to him being a massive success this year. And then let's not forget that the other knock on him, this going into this was he fumbled so much. He fumbled a ton at Wisconsin. Uh, He fumbled one time this year. And it was, I think it was Marlon Humphrey, the corner from Baltimore who forced like eight fumbles this year. It just was incredible at it. Um, I think that's the guy who got him. So one fumble though, to cut all that out, credit to to Taylor, credit to his running back coach, Tom Rathman. Um, But he, you know, we were talking about weaknesses with Phillip Rivers. He knocked that out. And, and he caught the ball. Like, I think it was like 12 or 13 weeks into the year before he had his first target. That wasn't a catch. I mean, he caught everything that was thrown his way. Now, not Darren Sproles or anything out there, but he still caught a significant amount of passes, proved to be a good receiving weapon in the passing game and just an all around three down back, just like the Colts said he would be. So it took a little time, but he definitely emerged as, as you said, a star. I mean, looking around the league, I mean, a special blend of talent that Taylor has at 4.39 speed, 225 pounds, and we see he just loves going through contact, too. Is there any running back around the NFL, Jim, that you've watched that Taylor reminds you of a little bit? Interesting. Um, gosh, there was somebody I thought – because I know a lot of people are bringing up the Derrick Henry thing, and I think that's interesting uh, just because they do run with such power. And, and, and again, it's like it's, – it's and they're faster than you'd expect once they get to the outside, which is what Derrick Henry – like. Darius Leonard said over and over again, Darius, like Derrick Henry's in, in the hole, not really that big of a problem. It's when he gets outside that he's an issue because he's got that stiff arm and he's got more speed than you think. Um, so I definitely think that's, that's somebody that I, I would compare him to. I, maybe Nick Chubb a little bit too. Again, I'm, I think I'm just kind of going at the best backs, but Nick Chubb to me is one of the best, just like pure pound for pound running backs in the NFL guy keeps his legs going falls forward all the time has a little more breakaway speed than you'd expect now taylor's faster but i just i I love watching nick chubb work i think he's just a dynamic running back and can kind of do everything you want in the running game um i don't know who are you thinking of when you asked that question i'm sure there was somebody that came to mind i don't know about you i mean this is more like a uh, throwback because i honestly i was younger when this was around but he was a colt for a little bit when i was first around but eric dickerson what do you think about that one Oh, interesting. Like you said, yeah, I, I didn't, I can't say that I've watched a ton of Eric Dickerson, but that's an interesting one. And I think uh, that the, the guy who owns the Colts, uh, Jim Irsay has made that comparison at least once, I think. So yeah, I, that, that, that seems to be about right. Yeah. I got to think back and, and about who I might compare him to, but yeah, for sure. I mean, a guy with guys with his, it, it's, you know, it's not an easy comparison to make because guys of his size and speed, they just don't come around very often. Yeah, really true. And he's, I think if the Colts want to go big run in January here, upside Buffalo, and then maybe go on a bigger run than that, they're going to have to ride Jonathan Taylor the rest of the way, Jim. I mean, really quickly, again, on Taylor, looking ahead to Buffalo, kind of combining some questions here. Do you feel like sure. if they have any chance to make a run here in the playoffs as a seven seed, as the lowest seed in the AFC, they got to ride Jonathan Taylor about 20 to 25 touches per game, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially against Buffalo. And then, I, you know, as like I think most Colts fans know, you don't want to look beyond Buffalo because that's a, an incredibly tough matchup but if they do 
beat Buffalo, they have to go play Kansas City. Uh, so it doesn't get any easier. So the, the, the script, I think, remains the same, right? Is you got to keep – you want to keep uh, those quarterbacks, Allen and Mahomes, off the field, which means you got to ride – you got to ride Jonathan Taylor, who's been your best running back. I mean, again, I think Naheem Hines will get mixed in there too, but you got to ride Taylor, grind out clock, keep those guys off of the field. And then, yeah, you have a chance to upset. Like, I think they have a better, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody, but I think they have a better chance of upsetting Buffalo than they would Kansas City because Allen still has a little bit of throw the ball away. You know, he, he will give the ball away a little bit. He did fall apart a little bit. Now, he's a different quarterback than he was in last year's playoffs, but he did melt down a little bit in that second, in that playoff game last year. And, and I think there's still a little bit in him where he'll make some risky decisions um, and, and put the ball in play. And if the Colts can capitalize on those situations, force a couple turnovers, that's how they can turn the tide and pull an upset. Let's hit on the Buffalo game now, Jim. Dive in a little bit for the last few minutes of the show. I mean, what's your expectations for Saturday? I mean, going into this, the Colts are six and a half point underdogs. They are a touchdown uh, underdog against the Buffalo Bills, the hottest team in the NFL, in my opinion, averaging our 45 points per game the last three weeks. Josh Allen's been on fire the whole season, taking a huge leap in his game. We also have a, a really a defense that's underrated at some points, and then they have a tough time stopping the run. But Tredavious White, the Bills defensive backs are very good at stopping the pass. What do you think is going to happen here on Saturday, Jimmy? What would you say from the Colts' point of view? Do you think the, the biggest keys are for them to go in there and keep it close or even upset the Bills? Yeah, so I, 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 I'll, you know, I admit to you now, I'm picking the Bills. Like, I, I think the Bills are going to win this game. As you mentioned, they're the hottest team in football. I think they might be the most balanced team in football, the way the defense has emerged in the second half of the season. So, but again, I don't think a Colts upset is impossible either. Um, so here are the two things. I and mean, we talked about the first one, so I won't go on much about it. But I think you got to run the ball, keep Allen off the field. Got to be Jonathan Taylor. Got to be keeping, like I said, got, the offensive line has to have their best game of the year. But as you mentioned, Buffalo hasn't been great against the run. Teams can move the ball. Even like, even in a blowout win of the Patriots, um, Sony Michelle and I think Rex Burkhead both ran pretty well. I think it was Rex Burkhead ran pretty well uh, against the Bills in that game. Other guys like uh, Philip Lindsay with the Broncos ran pretty well against them. Like you can run, a, you know, the, the game that I think people would point to is they lost to the Chiefs and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ran for 160 yards in that game. Like you can run on Buffalo. It can happen. And again, with the way the Colts are running right now, I don't think it's it's impossible that that's what they do. So if you can grind out six, seven, eight-minute drives, finish with touchdowns, that's so important against the Bills. And again, Frank Reich's going to give them every opportunity to do that because he's the kind of guy that's going to, you know, he'll be in four-down territory once they get onto the Bills' half of the field pretty much. Um, he'll give them the opportunity to do that, and they got to finish with touchdowns. Then defensively, this is something I've been kind of saying this week. I, I, Matt Eberflus is, is a guy who, who is built to, you know, it's traditional roots, right? It's that, it's that he's, he wants to stop the run first and then address the pass. Like, I think he's got to flip it this, this week. I, I think you got to do everything in your power to keep Josh Allen from throwing the ball, from extending plays, and exposing a secondary that has struggled, especially at the end of this year. I, w- I would show him as many of, you know, six, seven DB looks as I can and say, I dare you to try to run against us. And again, the Colts' run defense is second in the NFL. They're one of the best. Now, that is partly because they commit to stopping the run. But you still have Grover Stewart in the middle. You still have DeForest Buckner in the middle. They can still help control the run, even if they don't have quite the support they usually do. I would, I mean, I'm talking about getting Kamoko Ture out there as often as possible, Justin Houston out there as often as possible, and getting geared up uh, to rush the passer. I want the Bills to see that. I want the Bills to see as many, you know, corners and safeties and, you know, nickelbacks out there as, and go, man, this is. They're giving us looks we should run with and then give the 
ball to Devin Singletary and give the ball to Zach Moss. I'm not saying that'll work. The Bills might throw anyway. And heck, they're pretty good running team. Like Taylor and Taylor and uh, I'm sorry, Singletary and Moss are both pretty good backs. They can do their running game. And let and let sudden in the first half it was tight game, tight game, tight game. Oh my gosh, it's a blowout. Like he can do that. He has that Golden State Warriors, Patrick Mahomes ability to just put twenty up on you in no time. So I wanna keep that I wanna keep that from happening. I wanna make sure he can't beat me in the blink of an eye. So what I again I do everything I can to say, give the ball to Singletary, give the ball to the Moss, you guys grind out some clock while we're doing the same when we have the ball. Let's keep this thing close and let's keep it low scoring. I think to me, Jim, I feel like this game could follow a similar game script from the Colts' point of view, like the 2018 wildcard game against the Houston Texans or even last year against Kansas City, where I think the fronts on both sides, whether it be DeForest Buckner and Kamoka Ture, just Houston for the Colts' defensive line, Quentin Nelson, the guys up front for the offensive line, really have to control this game, keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands, get pressure with four consistently. Maybe it's disguise if he looks on defense, like you mentioned too, as well. I feel like this one's going to, if the Colts want to have any chance to win this, Jim, they got to win time possession, win the trench battle, as well as maybe get a turnover or two in there. I think it's got to be a low-scoring game for them to win this one. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And the only, the only difference on the scheme, again, we're talking about, like, the Kansas City game is perfect on the offensive side of the ball. Exactly. Like the, that was like the Marlon Mack offensive game of the year, uh, just in terms of how, how good he was and, and grinding out the clock. And like you said, the line, the line kind of setting the line of scrimmage and dominating that game. But defensively, they went man-to-man. Um, and that was smart because they were uh, the Chiefs were down a couple of their best playmakers. Now I don't going man to man against the Chiefs is a bad idea. You're not going to stick with Stephon Diggs. You're not going to stick with John Brown probably. If Cole Beasley plays, he's even more trouble um, out of the slot. Like I don't want to see these guys go man. If you actually look at some of the numbers, Josh Allen does struggle against cover two and some other zones. So not struggle, but he's not as good as he is you know in other situations. So I think the Colts can play their zones. Um, and, and like you said, rush with four. And they, again, but I just want to see, I want to see a lot of DBs out there. And, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, force them in the turnovers. That's how, uh, that's how upsets happen in the NFL is when you win the turnover battle. So the Colts obviously have to protect the ball, which they've done a really good job of this year. And they have to hope that Josh Allen makes a couple of mistakes or force him into a couple of mistakes, I guess is the better way of putting it. If they can do those things, as you mentioned, ball control and win the turnover battle, they can upset, they can upset the Bills. Last one I had for you, Jim. Appreciate the time as always. I mean, I predicted that earlier this week on the show. I'm going 31-24 Bills. I think the Colts keep it close for a little bit, and then they kind of bust the doors open late in the second half, a late drive from Josh Allen. I just don't know if they can keep up with this offense for the Bills. Hopefully I'm wrong on that, but what, what do you think? I know you said the Bills earlier. What's your score prediction for this one? I've been fluctuating on this. I feel like a couple places I've made score predictions. I've, I've been in the same area, but I'm going to say – I'm going to say 30, 34-27. 34-27 Bills. Um, I think it's maybe not as close. That's It's a one-score, seven-point game. I'll say this, the Colts score late to make it a one-score game. And then, you know, maybe, I don't know if they'll get the ball back or not uh, in that situation, but they'll make it a one-score game, and that, that'll be what happens. I'm with you. Like, the Bills' firepower right now is just too much. Like, I don't think it's an insult to the, to the Colts' defense or any defense. I think the Bills are just going to be putting up points on everybody. Um, I don't know when they run into Kansas City. If they do, I think they score a lot of points there. If they run into Baltimore or Pittsburgh, two really good defenses, I still think they put up a bunch of points. Like this, this Bills offense uh, with Josh Allen and Brian Dable calling the plays has been electric. They've been a juggernaut, and they've been really hard to slow down. And, again, I don't think it's a, a, a knock on the Colts to say I, I just don't think they're going to be able to do it for long enough uh, on Saturday. 
Jim, always appreciate talking with you. You guys can follow him on Twitter if you're not already, at Jim Aiello, and go read his work and listen to his work as well over to the Indianapolis Star. Jim, thanks again. Hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely, Evan. Thanks for having me, man.